back to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. I am uh, prorogued no more. I have been returned to the recording booth of the Scottish Rugby Podcast after John and Ian took over last week. Um, I've wrestled control back. Um, Ian has escaped, but I've managed to tie John to a chair. Uh, I'll just loosen his gag. Are you okay there, John? <laughs> uh, yeah, just about. Just about. Do, you want, do, you, do you know the safety word? <laughs> have we agreed on yet i don't need no safety word we'll be fine uh also also joining us this evening uh to supervise and make sure i don't breach the geneva convention uh and getting revenge over uh john for last week's podcast there uh, we've got sandy hello sandy good good evening i think john was okay i listened to the whole thing and i can pick up nothing from it no he was fine i was listening on the train on the way up to the match there was a couple of times ah <sighs> The direction of discussion I thought was almost going to get me in bother. At one point, I thought he was going to breach the uh, general data protection regulations, but he <laughs> he swerved it magnificently, uh, which was which which saved me no end of letters to deal with. Anyway, uh, you are listening to us. That means you found us either on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, somewhere like that. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we haven't asked this for a while, but if you could, please, please, please leave us a review if you wouldn't mind doing so. It takes one click just to give us the old five stars, or even better if you could write us one as well. Uh, Apple have recently overhauled their categories um, and such like, uh, so there now is now a dedicated rugby category, believe it or not, and we're, we're doing not bad boys, we're, we're about number eight in the rugby charts, uh, mainly because none of the other big podcasts have realised that that's happened yet, um, <laughs> so they have not moved across, but if you could leave us a review, that does does apparently help with the algorithms. Um, I think you can get cream for that. Um, you can also contact us by email, uh, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, you can reach us via the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Lots of things on there at the moment. We've got Top of the Moon, Kevin Miller doing his match, wonderful match previews, all the stats you could possibly need going into uh, some of these warm-up matches. Uh, we've got various other bits and bobs going on there as well. You can get involved in the comments. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Cammy Black, or there's at Scott Rugby Blog for the main account. And we're on Facebook and Instagram, too, if you search Scottish Rugby Blog, we should come up. Um, we're going to start with uh, some news. There's been actually a fair bit of news about uh, in this past week, non-Rugby World Cup related, because believe it or not, there is rugby outside of the World Cup. Who knew, Sandy and John? Who knew? Um, first news um, is World Cup related. Sam Skinner is out of the World Cup uh, with a hamstring injury suffered during the game against France. Uh, the early indications are uh, from the press conference earlier this week that it may take as little as four weeks to recover. So there is still a chance that with injuries, he might still make an appearance in Japan. Um, the other news that came from that was that Tim Swinson has been called up. Now, um, we'll come on to Richie Gray in a moment, John, but I mean, Big big Tim's got to be there just to carry tackle bags and, and make up the numbers in scrum practice, hasn't he? Uh, I th- I, yeah, I think realistically, yes. Um He's 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 got he's got previous with kind of sneaking into squads uh, on on uh, uninvited, hasn't he? So wasn't that um, only because Big Jim threw his toys out the pram last time? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's as good a good a reason as any. Um, I'm sure he'd thrown his toys out the pram plenty of times before. So, but no, I mean, Swinson, he'll he'll add a bit of experience to the to the camp just now. Um, Something again. He's beat. He's played at World Cup, which, as we know, quite a few 
of the players haven't. So you know, it does it does bring a bit of experience there. And but yeah, I think realistically, tackle bag duty, um, unless something drastic happens. Yeah, the uh, big uproar uh, from everyone when Tim Swinson was announced was, well, what about Richie Gray? And what about hey, Richie Gray? I hear you all cry, those who haven't been following the news. Um, well, um, he has not so much been overlooked as ruled himself out. Um, Danny Wilson, the forwards coach, has said that Gregor Townsend has been in regular contact with Richie Gray and Richie Gray has decided for personal reasons uh, not to make himself available. Uh, that's not, he's not permanently retired or anything like that. I think he's only turned 30 this week. Uh, but he's uh, just had a young baby, um, just come back from quite a long spell out um, with with injuries. He's had quite a bad time with Sandy. I mean, you can't blame him, can you? I mean, it's it's only, you only have your firstborn once in your life, don't you? There's some things more important than rugby in life. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, in all seriousness, no, I, I think, yeah, it, I think it's for him at that, with what was probably said to him, it's probably the right decision as it stands. Um, he's obviously relatively uh, new to coming back after after injury. Um, he, he may have been told the same as Swinson. He's there to hold the tackle bags and, uh, and to come in if somebody gets injured that can't make it and we're running out of second rows. But I think uh, if you've been over that ground as he has before, Given the circumstances, yeah, you can't blame him at all. No. Um, other um, World Cup news that does impact on Scottish rugby, and one for you, Sandy, is that Quagga Smith has been named in the Springbok side, which means he's no longer coming to Edinburgh. Um, how's your back row looking? Um, yeah, it's 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 tricky to know. I mean, there's a few there. There's still a few to pick from, but it's just where they're actually going to slot in, to be honest, because. The, I mean, a couple of the new ones, they've been given that kind of. They seem to have been, you know, is it is he a number eight? Is he a wing forward? Yeah, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, the only uh, the, the only real definite is that uh, uh, Luke Crosby is a wing forward. So the rest, and of course, we still wait to to see whether um, um, any of our guys will be back from the Edinburgh, actually from the Scotland squad. Um, um, I suspect Saturday will go a long way to deciding that, obviously. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll touch on that later on in the podcast. A um, bit of Glasgow news for balance, John. Uh, Stafford McDowell sound, signed a new contract today. He signed until twenty twenty two. There's, I mean, he's, he's a centre, another centre at Glasgow. Is that the Dave Rennie's intention then, just to have an entire back line of centres, John? I think he could do a lot worse than that. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, Stafford's also, he's got previously covering at 15 uh, as well. He, he was being talked about as being potentially a replacement in the longer term for, for Mr. Hogg. Um, I think from a Glasgow perspective, it's it's good to see contracts being handed out that are not one and two year deals. Um, and Stafford's very well very well thought of within the fan base so uh, yeah good to see he's all, he's also six foot four which is awesome for a center yeah <laughs> um the other news uh, last week is we had the announcement of the european fixtures for both glasgow and Edinburgh. the big news for us though is that on the 18th of january glasgow plays sail away and we are planning to have a blog slash podcast day out john Woo! Um, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Sandy, you you will have other plans, no doubt. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll try to even remember now. But Edinburgh obviously playing the same day at home uh, 
Um, I, I think we've got uh, wasps that day, if I remember rightly. Yes. So for any I mean, any but... uh, any podcast fans based in or around sort of Yorkshire, Lancaster way, uh, plus anybody travelling down from Glasgow, what we'll try and do is coordinate some sort of pub slash venue to try and meet him beforehand uh, and then make our way to the game. Um, so that should be good fun. So watch this space with that. Um, the the other known news that kind of came out speaking to a couple of people at the weekend, and this is maybe one for you, Sandy, is um, the question of are the Super 6 teams so preoccupied with their branding and their names that they've forgotten to sign any players? Yeah, it, it's actually all very bizarre because, I, I mean, I, I did a piece uh, for the blog, as you know, and uh, an update and there's only half a dozen players been named. I mean, I suspect everybody who's going to be playing Super 6 probably already knows, but for whatever reason, they don't want us to know. Um, uh, they also don't seem to want to really do a great deal in the way of publicity for the for the thing which is surprising. Um, you would think they would be uh, all over it. Yeah, it's strange, trying it? to get it up and running. Yeah, because the club season starts next weekend. So yeah. presumably with some of the, 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 the sides that are have a, a Super 6 franchise, you, you're going to have a pretty good idea with, when who doesn't turn up to play on, on Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a strange thing. And so, I mean, I think Air announced another uh, three today, but I mean, if, I, if I've picked up right, that's them got four players announced, including obviously uh, um, uh, Gordy Reid. So, um, you know, they can't play a game before. Do you remember, this is going back to the 90s, when, uh, was it Scotland played Liechtenstein? Was it Liechtenstein they played? And and uh, Liechtenstein failed to turn up for the fixture. I've just got images oh. of Gordy Reid just stood stood in the centre circle, kicking off to nobody just to fulfill a fixture against Melrose, who haven't bothered to name a side. Estonia. Estonia, 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 that's Estonia, it. That was it. 1997. 1997. They played the, the return thing I remember. Monaco, didn't they? Uh, they ended up playing at a neutral venue, yeah. Yeah. The thing I remember about that was that, uh, that you could hear the fans on the, the Scottish fans who were in the stadium actually singing, there's only one team in talent. <laughs> <laughs> never, 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 it's funny ever again. I've, I've had a thought regarding the Super 6 stuff. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just speculating because obviously, you know, maybe, they're, maybe they were under the impression that actually the Super 6 sits within this new Rugby X nonsense. What, six aside? Super six stands for six aside. Six aside, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure the way Gordy was blown about 30 minutes in that he'd be up for six aside on a full pitch. Uh, quarter pitches, mate. It's fine. Um, the, uh, we'll, we'll move on there. Speaking of, of Gordy blown after 30 minutes, um, let's, let's, let's go on and, and we'll talk about uh, Scotland versus France at the weekend. Um, Scotland beat France 17-14 um, on Saturday. There were 14 changes to the side that lost the previous weekend in Nice. Uh, Stuart Hogg was the only player retained. Apparently, uh, he was keen to be involved. That was that was not a pre a pre planned selection because um, he pulled up a cramp in Nice and wanted a bit more game time. Um, John, overall, how how was it for you? Uh, the overriding emotion uh, was eh, meh. Um, we got the win, and that's great. And we needed we. I I think we needed a win. Um, if if for nothing else but to kind of stop the the being mob from uh, dis, uh, breaking down the doors of Murrayfield with their <laughs> pitchforks. Um, but it was not as bad as the previous week. Um, but it wasn't very good either. 
Um, there was there was there was times where it looked good, and what impressed me most was that there was actually a level of control in the second half. It wasn't just like 110% cats at a rave. There was there was control. There was um, calm heads, but there's a long way to go um, for me before we would be happy with a performance. But beating beating a French team is always a good it's always a good win. Sandy, do you do you agree with John? Was that was that as bad as he makes it sound? Yeah, no, that was my impression as well. I was I'm nodding away here. That, uh, I mean, it was it wasn't a great game. Um, I think you could see improvement uh, as it progressed. Um, I mean, we were obviously we were better in the second half than we were in the first. Everything seemed to work better in the second half than it did in the first. Um, uh, but I think overall. It, like John says, it was a win, great, and it that looks that looks is good for the everybody's morale, not not least uh, as uh, supporters and the and the guys himself. But it it just had a feeling of, I mean, it was probably a better game later on than I thought it was because I certainly thought I, I, afterwards I thought to myself that in particular I, I thought that. Uh, that Finn had a kind of relatively poor game, but as I as I look back at it, and he started off quite kind of slowly, but by the time the second half came in, he was hitting everything he was trying to hit, and it was just the, uh, and it was almost if everybody else had maybe been on the same wavelength, it would have been, uh, uh, it would have been pretty special. But uh, yeah. Well, well, we caught up with man of the match, Amos Watson, uh, afterwards, and this is what he had to say. I suppose this wasn't the rugby you're sometimes used to at Murrayfield. Uh, you know, we didn't score a, a load of tries, or it wasn't that free flowing at times. But yeah, it did show that we can we can show a bit of grit and determination as well, going going two tries down, and to be honest, they're quite soft tries that we let in as well. And you know, that mentally you have to you have to try and overcome that and come back from that. It's hard to it's hard to come back from that sometimes when you can see the try early, and you know they haven't really had to work for it at all. Um, so I think it showed it showed the sort of playing group that we are as well that we can we can come back and win a bit doggedly as well at times. Do you think that's true? Because I'm not. I mean, that this idea that Scotland can win doggedly. Because it. I mean, to a certain extent, France and Scotland were almost as bad as each other at times on on Saturday yeah, in yeah. terms of in terms yeah. of, of of unforced errors and and the way they dealt with the ball. It was just that maybe in the second half, I think I agree with you, Sandy. Things clicked a little bit more. Um, maybe players grabbed the game, but there was certainly more aggression and physicality for Scotland uh, than there had been in Nice. Um, but I don't think I don't think that's evidence necessarily that that Scotland have, ha- have found a plan B, John. Do you? No, I, th- I think that's what I think everyone's desperate to believe that. Sadly, um, but no, I don't. I don't think we have found necessarily a, a plan B. Now, what we did find was that when we are on top in the scrum, we 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 find territory easier to come by. Um, we also found that if we don't hit our lineouts, uh, we're going to be really, really in trouble. Um, whether that translate, I mean, if that translates into some sort of magical plan B, then um, so uh, it would be an insult to suggest that someone with the rugby intelligence that Gregor Townsend has would not be aware that those things working would be um, a successful use of his resources. Um, but no. Um, that wasn't 
I wasn't ex- to grind out a victory at Murrayfield against a French team is not evidence of some sort of new gritty plan B. No. Do you, what, what's your thoughts on on it, Sam? I mean, there was certainly more aggression and physicality from Scotland. Do you think that was down to a change of personnel, maybe? I think no. I think John's hit the nail on the head. I mean, the scrum was much better. I think you know, there's one or two who've kind of tried to uh, suggest that um, we'd be better looking elsewhere for a tight head now that Willem nails over the over the hill. But I think that shows. I think Saturday showed that if that he's still the number one. Uh, tight head and 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 if you if you've got that nailed down then that's a a, a kind of a starter for ten, um, a, a, you know and and a, a, again the line out if the line out's working right again it kind of it started a wee bit but uh, um, but you know you if you can win some ball I I don't know that I don't know we're ever going to have a a plan B the way that no. we want it to uh, um, it. it you know, we we don't have the personnel. We you know we're not South Africa. We can't we can't find you know fifteen guys at seven feet tall that are that are you know animals on the pitch. We've got to try and do something a bit different because you know I mean even if you just take you know if you take Russell out of the equation for example, um, you know we're, we're struggling a wee bit to be fair and yeah. you know. And we've got to play the way that, that he plays because if we don't, we've really got nothing. Um, I mean, I know you're going to talk about Ireland a wee bit later on, but you know they were down to probably their fourth choice fly half. Do we even have four that we can pick from and still be competitive? No, not that they were, but you know it's another story. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's something. I mean, we 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 spoke to Scott Cummings after the game, and this is this is what he had seen. It's quite interesting, sort of. Um, I think. In terms of what he his his sort of what he says about what what Greg said before the match. Some Greg Laidlaw said in the build up to the week was he's he's on warm up games or test matches, so um, we weren't thinking about we're not thinking about Japan too much yet. We're really thinking about you know we've four massive games that we wanted to win them all, and obviously first game didn't go our way, but um, you know, we've rebuilded sort of this week and we've got two massive tests in the next two weeks. It's interesting, I mean, that that idea that, that Greg Laidlaw had had to say this week to the team: these are not warm-up games; they're test matches, and that almost suggests that there was a mentality maybe amongst some of the squad that this what they weren't going to be played at, t- at, t- at test level intensity, and that maybe caught them unawares in Nice. Do you think? I mean, how, how? I mean, I think we saw in terms of the reaction to when Scotland went behind that you know straight away you get points on the board and that that comes through through Greg Laidlaw. Do you, in terms of what what um, Sandy was just saying about Finn, when we almost kind of without Greg Laidlaw we almost struggle as well, John. Uh, yes, yes, and no. Um, again. Um, Greg, Greg Laidlaw, he does, he brings control, he brings control that uh, and a sense of calm that I think we have probably relied on um, over relied on in a lot of ways um, what he offers in his position, in his job as a scrum half is not as good as the people he's up against Um and I think the thing for me that people were talking about 
Greg Laidlaw's game and you know the box kicking and uh, for me the, the the kick the kicking game that we played it, it came on it came on the twenty the last twenty minutes were so much better but for the first sixty Greg Laidlaw Finn Russell Stuart Hogg were all guilty of some very very lax kicking mm, um, yep. which put us under pressure and if we're going to have a game plan to put the ball in the air. Um, and it, it does annoy me with Greg Laidlaw because, and I, I say this, you know, obviously, uh, Ali Price does the same. George Horn doesn't do it necessarily as much, but they, they seem to go to the box kick. Other other teams you can see going to the box kick as a, a planned move. It's with... We've set a couple of pods up, we've had a smash through, we're into position, we've got our winger in play, we've got our best jumper in play, and we go to the air. And it's it's a planned move. With us, it's uh, we're three three rucks in, and we've not really went anywhere, so we'll just put it up in the air. And that, that for me, is the, the mindset's very different, and um, it, it shows in the quality. Do you think that's down? I mean, this is, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because do you think that's down to Laidlaw's individual decision making, or or is it is it a tactical decision that that Scotland aren't setting up in the same way as other teams? Because it can't all just rest with 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 one with with your scrum half. I mean, it maybe in club rugby it might do, but at international level that you would assume there's some sort of plan. Sandy, yes. or am I being, or am I being yeah. naive? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be. I mean, it, we we see it, we do see it even at club level. I mean, it's um, obviously as an Edinburgh supporter, you know, uh, Henry got stick last year for the, the overuse of the box kick, but he's not come up with that on his on his own. That's not his decision. That's uh, uh, Richard Cockrell's, and and how Greg plays will be potentially. Um, mostly decided before they get on the pitch. Um, I, I mean, I take uh, what John says, and I take uh, uh, there's a lot to with that, and I, I agree. But I, I, I thought on Saturday it showed where uh, Greg Laidlaw's value to the team is. Now I know he doesn't, he never makes a break, so you're, you know, you're, uh, you're going to, you're going to need to defend those channels because he's just not going to do it. I don't think he's ever done it that I can remember, but, um, but. You know, I could see him. He was the captain. I think um, that we didn't have really the leadership from the week before. You know, nothing against uh, um, Stuart McAnally, but you could see Greg was much more vocal. It probably wasn't visible on the TV for those that were there, but um, even after, uh, I remember he's seen it after one of the, the, the Scotland tries. He was, you know, trying to set everybody up for the restart. And I think it was the one actually where um, Blade Thompson took the ball forward and then kind of lost a wee bit in contact. But, you know, but you could see Greg literally, you know, managing everybody, um, which was something that wasn't necessarily evident uh, uh, the game before. But, and I think that's where he's, he, you know, I, I've kind of considered him to be the, uh, the young to... Uh, Russell's Yang, he's the other side of the coin, <laughs> uh, where it's all you know, you know, it's all craziness and off the cuff and um, and you know, let's do this and see what happens. And you know, uh, whereas I think with Greg, it's a, a bit more, a bit more settled, um, and maybe the two are a good combination. I agree, he's nowhere near as exciting a scrum half or as um, as dangerous a scrub half as uh, uh, Ali or or uh, George Horn, but. 
I think he, he brings something that we need. Um, maybe that'll be f finished when the World Cup finishes, but I don't think this is the time to change. No, as a starter anyway. It's it's inter I mean, it's worth maybe just touching on the kicking game a little bit. There was something um, I'm going to put a review up. Uh, on the blog later this week, um, it's it's uh, I forget the title of the book, right? Something like uh, Scotland's 100 Greatest uh, Games um, by Stuart Weir, and it's it's a really interesting book. There's a lot of club stuff in there as well, national stuff in there. But there's there's a there's a chapter just on the Calcutta Cup, 2019 Calcutta Cup, where uh, Stuart Weir's interviewed Gregor Townsend, and uh, Andy Bailey on Twitter just tweeted me to say that Damien Hughes has been talking about that halftime talk on another podcast. Uh, which I'll post a link on Twitter once I've listened to myself. But something Kevin Miller pointed out in the pre-France preview is that Scotland didn't stop kicking against England in the second half like everyone thinks they did. They actually kicked more, they just kicked better. Yeah, And and it's worth, I mean, rugby, rugby to a certain extent, it's not a possession game, it's a territory game. And that's, if you're going to play the kicking game, that's what you're going for is territory. And I think in the set, a bit like the Calcutta Cup, I guess, is that in the second half, Scotland just kicked better and things stuck. They found the space, whereas in the first half, they were they were just kicking straight into French hands, John. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. Um, there seemed to be the, the guys were putting a wee bit more distance on the ball as well, just sort of turning particularly. I think it was probably identified that... Um, uh, the 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 French the French wingers neither of them were terribly comfortable um, being shifted sh shifted round, um, and and I I when a lot of people had you know similar to what Sandy said you know people on the first watch maybe were criticising Finn Russell's game, um, saying you know obviously it was classic flaky Finn. Um, Watch his performance in the second half. The kick, the kicking game is there, and he controls where Scotland are playing the game. Greg Laidlaw doesn't control where Scotland are playing the game. Finn Russell does. Um, and I, I take take your point, Sandy, regarding the sort of chat that Laidlaw has organising people. But I, I would be concerned if we weren't able to do that without him. Um, cajoling people around the place for, for restarts and I know we've had issues with restarts so don't get me wrong but it would be concerning if it was only his responsibility I think what makes me uncomfortable is a lack of a verbal captain outside of Laidlaw and it, it, it was, I was watching it I was at the game on covering the game on Saturday so I didn't see any of the Premier Sports stuff but I was watching it back today and they were talking about Stuart McAnally and these, these captains that lead by example rather than leading with words and I get that to a certain extent, but I do think as a captain, you need to be able to speak to your team in a game and to deliver very, you know, uh, deliver messages, talk about what's happening, ask questions about why things aren't working, and try to try to fix it. If you if you're just there acting by deed alone, then uh, you know where, where's the direction. And I think that's outside of Laidlaw. I'm not sure that Scotland have a captain that. That, that can do that maybe Barkley but it, I think that's something he's, it's come to him later because it wasn't something he necessarily did a couple of seasons ago Sandy yeah no I mean and I, I agree and I agree with I agree with John it's you it, you don't want to over rely on somebody do it in that particular uh, that for that particular facet of their game but you know we are where we are at this point in time and uh, yeah. and the other the other two may well 
um, grow into that. But you know, there's certainly for me, there's an argument that that uh, that we need Laidlaw probably more for his leadership skills than his um, than his overall play. I, st- I mean, I'm, I know I'm digressing, but I still every time I hear that people say that he's slow, I'm not entirely convinced I understand what that means. No, well, because, I watched I watched know, it back. He's not slow. No. The the he he gets to rucks in. He, if there's a clean ball left for him, he delivers it. If the ball's not delivered mm. cleanly by the forwards, he takes his time to dig it out. When with the Kinghorn and Harris break, when he got to the ruck, the reason he didn't pass it out was because the attack hadn't set. Yeah. So I no. don't I don't know. I think he he gets accused of being slow by reputation rather than by fact. I think. Yeah, no, that's that, that's my take because you know he doesn't pass the ball any slower than anybody else. He doesn't. He, he's at the rock when he needs to be. I, I, I mean, my own, my own thought is that he gets that gets labelled because he he doesn't make a break, so the defences can be already moving out for to take the the attack from another point. So you know, so it, it would appear that by the time he's passed the ball that. Everybody's moved on, but it's they're going to anyway because it's because they know he's not going to to break. I mean, I'm hoping that what will happen is that we'll get to the semi final and he'll make a break to win the match. And well, well, he's done it. He's done it. <laughs> he's done it. He has. Whenever he's. I mean, the thing is, when Laidlaw's bro- when he has done it, he's done it very effectively. I mean, you think about like the the try against Samoa in the last World Cup. You think about the break the the break he made against Argentina in I think it was Vern Cotter's I think first game at Murrayfield. Yeah, you know right. the quick tap penalty. He he can do. It. I think he scored a try against Wales under Scott Johnson that way as well, where he just absolutely you know just dived under a pile of forwards and managed to squeeze over the line. But oh, I remember that one. Yeah, it's yeah. he does do it, but I think it's uh, probably due to an age than anything else. Now is that that's not where his strengths lie anymore, and he he does it where he knows he's there's something on. Whereas maybe the likes of Ali Price and George Horn back themselves more because of youth, because they've got the pace to do it and the sharpness to do it, and maybe Laidlaw's just been shorn of of that with it with with age and has had to sort of adapt his game. Maybe um, there's something maybe in that, but I think with with the other two in question as well, you look at it's no coincidence that they both score tries that look the same. Yeah, um, and I don't think Laidlaw's necessarily been involved in a a, a coaching setup that had that. Um, that option for scrum half so no and I think as well you think about the there was a, a try this season that George Horn scored and the way he tracked the run he basically ran from one side of the pitch to the other yeah, yeah. and I don't think there's any any way that anyone of Laidlaw's age at scrum half where you having to do a hell of a lot running more than the rest of the team is going to expend energy doing that no. <laughs> compared to, to a young upstart like George Horn. Um we'll, we'll move on cuz we we've talked about we've talked about Greek we've we've uh, a, a little bit the, the one good thing um I thought was we got on the right side of Barnsey for once <laughs> and I had the ref I had the ref link on and he was using first names he gave Gordon Reed a handshake and said nice scrimmaging it was, and, and Scotland seemed to have a, a very good dialogue with them. They were asking for clarification. I, I don't know which again because it's a, an inverted commas warm up game. I don't want to, you know, I know they've talked about his tests, but th- there was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of, I mean, he marshes back ten minutes, but aside from that, he he was using players' first names rather than blue nine, and then talking to Johnny when, against uh, as we had against Ireland. But uh, do you think that's? Do you think Scotland managed Wayne Barnes better than they have done in the past, Sandy? Um, 
not necessarily. I think it's just probably the way the game went, and and because we were more scrummaging better. Um, he, he he does that a lot actually. Uh, Wayne Barnes, and it tends to be where he knows the names of one set of players and doesn't know the others. I mean, um, whether that can be the case with the French, I don't. I obviously didn't have the ref link, so I don't know. But uh, no, he um, didn't. He did, he was speaking. He, yeah. he used the odd French word. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, I think we just—it was just one of those days that we were that it fell the right way, um, and we were uh, and we were better in the scrum. And I mean, he did—he did march us back ten for um, for Finn waving his hands. So we weren't—we didn't get it entirely uh, um, our own way. I don't think, to be honest. It's not a bad thing though, John, because he's the referee for the Ireland match in the opening game. No, it's a—it's a really um, positive thing. I mean, if we had went in. Uh, to that game on the back of um, you know a massive penalty count against us, scrum collapsing every every which way. Um, the re- as much as referees go on about how we, we expect impartiality and we expect you know to be given a fair shake, of course it has an impact. Um, but yeah, seeing Big Gordy get get the handshake was yeah, he, he would have loved that. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, is there anything else either you want to say about the game before we move on to the the important question of who who is in and who is out? I I I, I was kind of made a wee note to myself about the uh, about the hooker position in particular, thinking it's a bit of a concern um, for me. Um, I mean, I know there are other positions that are kind of hard to. It's still hard to decide who's who's going and who's not going, but uh, I'm I'm a bit concerned that at the moment, as it stands, we've got McAnally who's fat. I don't know what Fraser Brown's current prognosis is, but um, we'll find out tomorrow. Um, I didn't think George Turner had a particularly great game at all, although, uh, and I thought uh, Grant Stewart came on and did a bit better. So um, I'm wondering whether there's a wee turnaround there. With what would potentially be the third, third hooker than what everybody would have perceived to be third hooker or not? It's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, I think George Turner had a better game when I watched the game back than I thought originally. I mean, he he hit more rucks than Hamish Watson. He hit thirty-seven rucks. He got a couple of turnovers. He was he. You know, there was a couple of daft penalties he gave away. But the lineout's a bit of a mess at the minute. But I don't. I think yeah. on on the showing in Nice and then this weekend. It's hard. I think in the past we've blamed hookers for that, but it's hard to know if it's the hooker or if it's jumpers mistiming the jumps. It's easy to blame the hooker because he's the one throwing the ball. Um, but but it's hard to know these things. I think you know is is the call being communicated properly? Or you know it's it's early days, but it's it's a concern, Sandy. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll just see. We'll see. What uh, what Gregor's take on it is? I, I just I felt that uh, I did feel that uh, Grant Stewart made a wee bit of a, got a wee bit of a march on it uh, on Saturday. To be honest, yeah. Well, we'll 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 come to that now. This is we we did uh, hear from Gregor Townsend um, at the end of the match on Saturday uh, with his take on uh, his current thoughts on the World Cup squad. It obviously has clarified a few things because players today played well um, now. Whether they were going to be closer to going to the plane or not, we, we'll, we'll see. Um, but we've still got one game. We've given ourselves this opportunity to to go to Georgia with a strong team. There might be a, a couple of decisions we'll we'll have to leave till after that game. 
we now have to factor in these these injuries uh, and whether they affect our squad sec- selection. And and the reality is that we will get injuries after the squad's announced. We play Georgia here in two weeks' time. We play four test matches um, in hot conditions out in uh, in Japan. So even if players don't make that that 31, I'm, I'm sure a few of them will make it out to, to Japan. I mean, that was uh, Townsend kind of saying there's, there's probably only a couple of spots left uh, after that game, really, that are still to be decided from from what I heard. Um, I mean, in terms of the weekend, and I think Blade Thompson and, and Scott Cummins had a, had a very good game, I thought. Yeah, Cummings was excellent. Cummings was absolutely brilliant. Sorry, Sandy. No, no, I, I was just going to say that I, I, I agree, uh, John. To be honest, I thought that I don't know that I don't know that it, that it brought any more physicality to the role that um, that had previously been, you know, whether it had been uh, any of the others. But um, he played well enough, for, particularly for a guy who was uh, uh, making his um, his starting debut. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there is talk, I mean, there's certainly talk on Twitter, you're involved in this, Sandy, that, that, that Thompson has played lock before. Um, I, not nece- I'm not, I don't think anyone's suggesting for a moment that he would be a starting lock in a test situation, but it's got to be something that's going to enter the, the thoughts of Gregor Townsend now with, with the loss of Sam Skinner, that, that you have some versatility within the, within the squad should somebody fall during a match. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think if it was, I think we, uh, Rory pointed out, it was the 2016 and in the Under 20 World Cup. I, I mean, it's a bit like it's a bit like playing uh, Fraser Brown in the back row or Rambo in the back row. You know, they can do it, but I don't know they would necessarily want to choose for them to do so. Um, particularly when we've got you know people who are specialists in the role. Um, you know, does if you, if you decide that you're going to take I mean, Sam Skinner, I can live with. I think as a as a utility, you know, second row, oblique back row. I mean, obviously not now, but you know, I could have done because I, you know he, he does regularly play in both. Um, uh, so I don't see it's a big stretch. Um, but to ask Blade Thompson to start a match there, no, I'm, I, not not for me. I mean, I think again, I think as I said, it's if he. You know, if if we if there's an injury and he needs to go in, great. But I mean, we did that on Saturday. I think uh, I think Ryan Wilson ended up in the second row when we had injuries. John so. Bar- John Barkley, John I think. Bar- I think Ryan Wilson uh, flat out refused. Who can blame him? <laughs> Use the seniority card. No, not doing that. Um, which is understandable. Uh, but uh, um, I, I, I'm, I'm I, I, my own take on it is that we'll probably now just go with. You know what would be acceptable, or are people who play second row all the time? Um, you know, you know, despite the fact that we've not probably seen the best out of some of them, but you know, I think your your four will be will be Gilchrist, Toulis, Cummings, and uh, Johnny Gray. Oh, yeah. I think um, the the moment that Richie ruled himself out, I think that. To me, it was almost nailed on. Could be entirely wrong, but that's the way I would see it. Yeah, I think that's that's what I've got down here. We'll go through. I'm going to go through the full squad in a moment, just in terms of who's in and who's out. Uh, John, in, in terms of centres, though, um, I mean Chris Harris. I mean he's a, I saw him up close after the match. He's a hell of a size for a for a centre. He's almost sort of getting pushing push lock height. Um, he's a big one, boy. Yeah. He. Uh, he pr- I mean, he's one of these players. You think he, he, you know, international rugby is a different beast to 
the English Premiership or or even you know the, well, even the Pro 14 is as as a high standard as it is at times. Um, but yep. it's it, it does you know some players take to it like a duck to water, like the Finns of this world and the Johnny Grays. Other players it takes them a few games, and it's it, it's a I guess an argument for placing trust that players who are delivering on the training field will eventually come through and deliver on the on the pitch. Do you, I mean, do you think he's he that's been the case with Harris? It's just taken time to get to grips with the the pace and the physicality of it. Um, yeah, I think it absolutely has, and uh, it's an interesting word you you pick up there. Uh, Kami, trust. Um, we we should also trust that if these players are not good enough to be on an international field, they won't be because their boss's job depends on them being able to do it. Um, Chris Harris, um, we we always we always uh, we always seem to forget that. One of the players that we all talk about now is, in godlike terms, Duncan Taylor, had a shocking start to his international career. And there was many, many people, myself included, that doubted whether he would get another shot. And it was injury that brought him back into the fold. Um, Harris has he done himself. He, I thought he played very well. Obviously, I think his try was try was good. You know, good line. Um, really demanded the ball, which showed a lot of confidence. But his defensive work again. He was. You know, you talk about Greg Laidlaw organising attack and organising structure. He was. He was the defensive guy. He was calling the shots, getting everybody moving about, and it was not a surprise that we were actually much more solid in defence. So, yeah, basically we just need to trust our coaches a bit more, eh? Yeah, in, tr- in Tuni we trust, as, as, as the saying goes. Uh, as, as the saying goes. Uh, Sandy, uh, Pete Horn, I thought, got a rough time of it afterwards. I mean, there was that one, obviously there's the the um, missed pass that, that led to the first French try. I mean, you watch that back, I think, you could put some of the blame on Finn Russell for calling it and, and passing it when the French defence had moved up so quickly. You could also say that maybe Horn could should have taken it into contact, but at the same time, Hoggy was calling for it. So I don't think you can one. I don't think he's solely to blame for for the mistake. But secondly, I, I think he he didn't really put a foot wrong after that physically or in defence or attack. He made some good yards with ball in hand. He he tackled very hard. He worked well with Harris. I thought. No, I, I agree, and uh, and I thought he spoke um, very well before the match, and you know, and bar that early mishap, I had a pretty decent game. I think for both him and particularly for for Chris Harris, but for Peter Horn as well, the the, the mental fortitude I think that they the, that they probably have to kind of keep going at this because the, the, it can't escape them. Certainly, Chris Harris, it can't escape them that you know that. His performances have not been met with universal delight up until now. Pete Horn clearly knows it because he's a you know he alluded to it in his interview before the game um, that uh, that he knows he's not necessarily first choice. And I thought that was great that he said you know I'm, I may not be but I'm you know if I'm going to continue to be picked you know, and I'm going to stick my hand up and do the best I can and he always he always does. Um, I, I don't know that it's the best combination for us. Um, but certainly, you you know, um, I don't think it was from 50 minutes or from you know, 50 minutes we 
we kept the French out. There was no no further scoring um, from them. So the, defensively, I think they're definitely there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was speaking to somebody um, about something else. I was way in London with me, seeing friends, and they were talking about a speech they'd given at work where they'd used the the yeah the Theodore Roosevelt uh, man in the arena speech. You must have heard that at some point. Who says it's it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points on out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end that triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails, fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You could read that. I mean, I mean, it's hard. Very we're doing, impressive. We're doing a... <laughs> We're doing a podcast where we're criticising players <laughs> and critiquing their performance, <laughs> but I think there is something of that, and, and I was I was heartened to hear how uh, Pete Horn has reacted. I think to some of some sections of the Scottish fans who haven't taken too kindly, and I think I would hope that the the players kind of latch on to that, that, that to to block out some of the criticism and you know the people to listen to are the coaches and and the players around them, and not not. Not the gutter press such as ourselves. <laughs> Although we do hope they are listening. Hello to any players uh, tuning in. Um, the um, what, what I thought might be good to go, given where we are with one game to go, given Gregor Townsend's alluding to the fact there's maybe only one or two places up for grabs, barring injury. Um, we go through, I've selected 31. Uh, my 31, um, in terms of who's in and who's out. I've based it on the makeup of the squad last time round. In terms of number of props, hookers, back rows, um, centres, what have you, just, just cause it, otherwise I got confused about who was playing where. Um, so we've we, we've gone with this. So so I think Sandy, you've picked up on this. I've got McAnally, Brown, Turner. I think Brown is still injured, but is is near enough to fitness that that they would risk him in a that they know they're, they're going to select him for the World Cup. They're considering him for to, uh, for the for the weekend. Yes, yeah. they're considering him for this weekend. So I mean, you you do you think that's that's likely to be barring injury that that that'll be the three then, Sandy, or are you suggesting that that maybe we might see well, I, Stuart? I, I well, I mean, I, I I'd like to see Stuart. I mean, I like I think they both deserve uh, uh, another shot at it. I mean, obviously, uh, McAnally and Brown are first choice and are, and are considerably ahead of the other two, whatever way you look at it. Um, so whoever gets whoever gets a start on Saturday, well, it's going to be, I reckon it's going to be Brown, but uh, and that's a, that's a done. But if somebody else gets on and gets a bit of game time and does well, that could be the deciding factor. To me, that one's still right on the fence for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of props, now I thought the week, given how well the scrum went at the weekend, there were five props went in 2015. Um, I've just gone with the props plus the props that were there at the weekend plus Sander Ferguson. So it's Jamie Batty that, that that's going to lose out. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yep. Yep. Uh, locks have agreed with you, Sandy. I think give it, the four locks are definitely going now. Sam Skinner's ruled out, so you've got Gray, Cummings, Gilchrist, and Tullis. Yeah. Yep, agreed. Which then in the back row? Now this could be controversial. I'm it's interested in your take. <laughs> it is hard. Yeah. So I've gone Watson, Ritchie, Barkley. Wilson and Thompson. Now I'll explain why. <laughs> I'm I'm selecting this not on my own preference. I'm select I'm predicting what I think 
Gregor Townsend is likely to do. I'll make that very clear. Otherwise, I don't. I, I wouldn't pick Wilson. Um, not that I thought. I actually looking back at, it, I thought he had a very good game. Um, he's just. I just think he's a liability penalty wise. Although I think Kevin Miller pulled out some stats that proved I might be wrong on that. Um, but I think it's the kind of penalties he gives away rather than the kind of penalties that Barkley or Watson give away, which are more professional fouls rather than just losing the head or doing something stupid like tackling a man off the ball like he did the weekend um so i've gone with that purely because i think uh thompson's going to offer cover at lock now i don't think he's going to start at lock sandy i think it's more that as an emergency on the pitch if you've you know you you, you've you've brought your lock on from the bench and then someone else goes down you need someone to switch in there um and i think wilson did enough at the weekend to I probably persuade Townsend that he's worth a goal because of the other things that he brings uh, to the uh, squad in terms of Ging them up, in terms of keeping kind of the social side of things. Because it's a long tournament. I think I think Townsend puts a lot of stock in that. And I think it's just going to be a little bit too early for, for Bradbury and Ferguson. I think Bradbury will go personally. Over, think, over think, who? Uh, over, over. over Wilson. I think I think Wilson. Uh, I think despite the experience he brings, despite the um, the trust Townsend's put him in, in in him in the past, I think you'll see. And actually, I think this weekend will be a mass, obviously yeah. a ma- massive yeah. determinant in that. But if Bradbury goes half as well as he can do, I reckon he'll go. Sandy, you agree with that? I, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, I, I can see. Th- why we would say that uh, Wilson would be there, but I think if you get a decent, if you get a big game out of uh, uh, Bradbury on on Saturday, then he, he can force his way in. I mean, he, I think long term because obviously he's a good bit younger than uh, Blade Thompson. He's Scotland's number eight for years to come yeah. if he manages to if he manages to, to displace Bill Matter on a regular basis for well, or, he... Uh, he moves on because that's I think you know, he's got the he's got the physique and he's got the 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 power I think to do it so yeah if he, if, if he can play anywhere like consistent like he did the second half against England then yeah, yeah. I, I, it's hard to disagree with that um, in the backs I think Laidlaw Price and Horn that's fairly straightforward yep. at scrum half yep. Russell and Hastings is your fly halves because that's that's who we've got for fly half unless we don't is <laughs> getting a call um, now the centres this is this is where it's interesting I'm probably worth talking about the centres and the wings at the same time because this is where I think it's going to come down to um, my nailed on centres are Horn, Harris Johnson and Taylor uh, my nailed on wings are Seymour, Maitland and Graham now I think the choice is going to come down to between Hutchinson and Kinghorn because Taylor can cover fullback and wing Hutchinson can cover a lot of positions. I think it's going to come down to this weekend because I thought Kinghorn had a... That was probably one of his better games, best games, I would say, in a Scotland shirt at the weekend. I thought he was superb. Yeah. uh, Is there an argument, and this is something because I I spoke to somebody I know who watches Northampton on a fairly regular basis, uh, and uh, I know this would be left field, but Hutchinson has, has played fly half for them not like a million years ago. Um, I you know, think so he's now providing cover right across. I think that and only that, happens. That op- I think that only happens if Hutchinson 
is either starts at fly half or comes on at fly half at the weekend. Yeah, and and I, I would agree with that. But it's, I just wonder whether I mean we've lost a, the my reason for thinking this is we've lost the flexibility in the for uh, the, the forwards in a wee bit, um, and we've had to you know we've had to go with five because we can't. So we've now got fourteen fourteen backs. Um, so in order to maybe have a guy there who who would appear to be equally comfortable inside and outside centre. Um, reportedly, I can't, I mean, I've not seen him play there, but reportedly is a, a, a pretty decent fly half. Uh, add on to that, you've also, if you need to, you you can, there's other, you know, Greg can fill in there. I mean, I, I, I think we're just so far, so far back, if Finn doesn't play, it almost doesn't matter. Do you agree with, no, do you agree nobody, with that? Nobody uh, John, else is think... any, anywhere close. I think that's a very valid point. I actually, I, I, I think, um, I, I disagree with you in terms of the makeup of the centres. I think he's going to, um, I think these warm-up games will have told him something, but I think there is, despite his form, I think there's no way in this planet Hugh Jones doesn't go, even though I know everyone thinks he's on a sugary peg, but um, I think Hugh Jones has to go. I think he'll, he'll stick with... Um, obviously, Sam Johnson and Taylor are, are nailed on. I think Chris Harris definitely goes, um, and uh, I think Hugh Jones goes. Um, so, so it has to be. I mean, the, the, if you look at Townsend's track record, one of the players, one of the, the top players who has had the most minutes in a Scotland shirt for Gregor Townsend is Pete Horn. Yeah. So that means. No, no Hutchinson, and uh, and 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 you and you put, and you're going to put jo- you, you're predicting, I suppose. You're not putting Jones in there. You're saying that Townsend's going to put Jones in there. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sadly not in charge of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've only John. I've only. <laughs> yep. So it's all to play for. There's, I mean, we probably two or three positions then still still up for grabs, depending on the weekend, yeah. maybe. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think the the, the centres are the are by far the hardest one at the moment because, uh, as John said, we suspect that that Jones will definitely go, um, despite not really setting the heather on fire recently. But um, and then after that, you're starting to run out of spaces. I keep just thinking back to I, I think I mentioned it last week as well, and I've possibly mentioned it in the past as well. It's that idea of. Townsend's obviously he's got a duty to pick the the squad that he thinks uh, is going to take him as far in a tournament as they can go. But there is also let's not forget there's an element of self preservation about this, and even even the the biggest you know the the most successful in the coach coaches in the world will pick players purely out of if they don't pick them they'll get slaughtered for it. Nobody's immune to that. So I think that's that partly that's where Jones comes in. I think he's I think he's still got plenty of uh, credit in the bank, and I think um, I think some I saw somewhere on Facebook recently. You know there was a bit of context given. He hadn't played since February, hmm. um, which and well, let's also be very clear: no one looked good no. against yeah. France that day. So. I think we might be writing him off a bit too quickly. 
Okay, interesting times. We the the squad has announced uh, the team. Sorry for Georgia. It, it's already been announced. The players. We had to tell them on Tuesday because they flew out Wednesday as we record this. Uh, it's being announced uh, Thursday, which is tomorrow. Again, as we record this, we're not going to predict who's getting picked because by the time most of you listen to this, uh, you'll already know. Um, but um, I think there will be a lot of clues in that team as to. I'll give a lot of indication. I think as we've discussed as to as to who might be on a sugarly peg, who might be given a second look. So um, the actual final squad's being announced on Tuesday next week. Um, we may put up our own podcast before that, where we we choose our own uh, team if we if we can do that. If not, we'll be we we'll, we'll be we'll be broadcasting Tuesday evening uh, with full coverage of the squad announcement and no doubt um, absolute reflecting on the absolute fury that's been unleashed when when uh, I don't know when when someone's when Stuart Hogg's been left out of the squad um, or named as a ten. Yes. <laughs> Watch as I start. I'll, I'll put up a whole series of videos of me just smashing things. <laughs> interesting, interesting fact: Glasgow Warriors currently don't have anybody listed as playing at fly half on their website. <laughs> so Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, We've got um, quite a few fly halves as well. That's um, yeah. We're not getting any fullbacks. One um, one one thing that came to light this weekend. I'd, I'd kind of it passed me by. Uh, at the time, I hadn't really thought anything of it, uh, but I saw the former Scotland kit manager was down. He's a hard guy to miss. Uh, Cookie, the column, a big figure, I think, in the in the dressing room. He was down on the sidelines. I saw uh, from my spot um, up in the the press benches, um, and I'd seen a, a few months ago that he has. I think he's been promoted, and there's a new kit man in place. And you wonder. It's a question for you guys. I mean, you think how much I mean obviously there's there's been a bit of movement in terms of the coaching staff because uh, Dan McFarlane's gone off to Ulster um how much something like that might impact on the squad ever so slightly I mean you've had Dr so Dr James Robson and you know it, it, he's been around the squad since year dot and um I think Cookie the kit the kit guy's been there for for a number of years uh, do you think that's going to have much of an do you, do you think it's strange to have made a change like that so close to the tournament John um Yes, it is, and I, I think the way the way I saw it, when I saw the stuff you obviously pinged us about this, and I saw the stuff about it. I kind of, I kind of was trying to think of we we often forget that these guys they're working for an employer, and attending work for them yes it involves going and training and going and doing you know press conferences and all the all the sort of stuff that comes with it but a lot of the day-to-day work they are working very closely with with guys like cookie who wouldn't ne- you wouldn't necessarily consider that you know, aside from delivering the kit appropriate you wouldn't you know there's probably not much you would anticipate as being extra extra in the job description but he is a big personality so it will have had an impact. A lot of the boys who have come into that team age 19, 20, 21, will, he'll, have, he'll have been their ear. He'll have been the, maybe the guy who put a, an arm around them. Maybe the guy who put a boot up them. Who knows? But yeah, it seems a very, it just seems strange timing. You shouldn't really change much in the run-up to, to a World Cup. Yeah, I mean, we we don't know the full story behind this. Uh, might, no. There might be other reasons for this, Sandy. But but do you, does that strike you as a bit strange to to change something? I mean, I, on the face of it, as simple as that. But but you know, fundamental to the to the the day to day run of the squad. 
I mean, I think if you're going to if you're going to consider that we're you know we've spoke backwards and forwards about whether Ryan Wilson gets picked for the team because of his impact to the to the wider squad and how he gets on with everybody and organises the the beach volleyball whatever it happens to be you know um, <laughs> but you know but we oh, a horrendous we image of Ryan Wilson in speedos now thanks Sandy <laughs> but we won't then keep a guy who whose job is to deliver the kit because for for whatever reason we don't know and and I yeah I, I think you. you you don't want to change things. You want to keep them because um, if he's been friendly, if he's friends with the players, if he gets on with the players, then to, you're taking a pal of theirs away. Uh, uh, somebody that you're putting them into a, um, a foreign environment. He may well be one of the few familiar faces that they have on a daily basis that is not um, looking for the next story. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, perhaps the, the next guys will, will be every bit as good, but you know these things don't happen overnight. So uh, um, you've got to wonder, really. That, and, and it is the sort of thing that will get picked up later on if we don't do well, in particular. Yeah. An interesting one. I mean, if you want to have a go at being uh, the cultural attaché for Scotland during the Japanese World Cup, uh, then you can play our game Banderscotch online, um, <laughs> overcoming the kind of problems that we imagine that someone in, in, in Cookie's position would, would have to overcome. Um, should you should you eat fugu? Should you go out on a, on a Japanese game show, singing game show? Well, you might not know what happens. Um, should you, should, you know, should you uncover uh, what Devon Toner actually is? All these, all these challenges and more in that game, Band of Scotch. Um, many people have tried, many people have failed to complete that game. Some have, some have, have, have emerged victorious. Um, in terms of the World Cup, then very briefly, we'll just mention Ireland, uh, who got an absolute shellacking of the weekend. Um, and and reports out of Ireland. I mean, um, Joe Schmidt called his press conference early this week. Uh, there's talk that Rory Best is, I mean, he's retiring at the end of the World Cup anyway, but he's he, he's past it. I mean, um, we we had a question from Ian Walsh on Twitter at the weekend saying he wasn't sure how to feel because under our anyone but England rule in the laws of Scottish rugby supporting, you're supposed to support um, Ireland against England. But he said he wasn't sure there was some joy to be taken in in Ireland suffering. Sandy, is that is this a good sign for us going into the World Cup, or do you think Ireland are going to pull it together? I don't think it means anything for us, to be honest. I, I, you know, I mean, we we had a we had a crap warm up game, and everybody. I'll tell you, no, it means nothing. It's just a warm-up game. They have one, and it's the end of the world. Uh, yes, it was a shellacking, um, uh, but against a, an England side that are clearly hitting the hitting their straps, we've got Ireland to play. We're not playing England. I mean, I don't know at what point we would, even if we. It's probably the final, is it? I don't know. Final, so, final yeah, yeah. yeah. If you so if I, you play through Bandascotch, that is one of the options. Oh, that that's right. I forgot. Yeah, I did that. And uh, um, but yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think it makes I don't, I don't think it makes any difference for us. Um, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I've been saying they've been on the slide for about four years, and I think probably through more hope than expectation, and um, maybe <laughs> that, maybe they maybe they finally are. But I, I think the island that turn up to play us. Um, will be a different animal um, uh, unless we've worked out what what England have and what um, Italy nearly did and all the rest of it. It's, uh, yeah, no, not for me. It's interesting. I mean, um, Alan McDonald uh, submitted this, John, for an absolute bobbins contender, but actually, I, I don't think this is absolute bobbins. It's a valid point. Is we, we, We're putting a lot of stock in Scotland's poor away form, but actually... 
And, and actually, no, no, you know, nobody really in world rugby does well away from home these days. Even even the All Blacks struggle. Oh. Um, it, and and it, it, as Alan points out, at the World Cup, everyone apart from Japan, who, you know, unluckily are in our group, but apart from Japan, everyone's playing away. So, do you th- are we are we maybe putting too much stock in in Scotland's poor away form going at the World Cup? Or do you think it? Do you think or do you think everyone's in the same boat in a World Cup? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I think there's absolutely um, something. So uh, for three and three quarter years in a World Cup cycle, I think away form does matter, and then I think it goes out the window because it's tournament rugby. Um, and as you say, you know, there's only a slight few nations that have ever hosted a World Cup. Um, there's only a slight few that have won a World Cup that they've hosted. Um, yeah, I think it's just a different beast and Scotland's away form is what it is and we'll try and rectify that next next time where, you know, the net help of the next six nations probably that yeah. we, we get a look at that. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a big concern for the World Cup. Okay, uh, we'll move on and now we'll do this. Well, we're Yes, it is time for Where's Dougie Donnelly. Um, the, um, it's a section of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch and tell us which pundits, players, coaches and other Scottish rugby-related celebrities you have seen out and about. Uh, I have a couple. I don't normally have any because I live in Leeds, so coming across Scottish rugby-related celebrities is not something that happens to me day to day. I saw Doddy Weir uh, waiting for a tram on Princes Street, um, and I also shared a tram back uh, to the station with Hamish Watson's parents. <laughs> who were an absolute delight, it has to be said. Uh, full credit to them. They a few people worked out who they were in the carriage, and they were they were an absolute delight. Full, f- absolutely, quite rightly, proudly proud of of the mission, all that he has achieved. Um, the um, other thing was the other submission we've had is someone called Ian Hay. Have you heard of him before, John? Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah, no, it's, uh, yes, some, that's, yeah, um, <laughs> surgical waste. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he got in touch to say he saw me at Murrayfield on Saturday. Um, I can, I can confirm that's true. Uh, I signed two copies of his CD of, uh, we'll still enjoy the Saki, our World Cup song. <laughs> Um, I also uh, shout out to the listener who collared me on the tram as well Um, I didn't catch your name but thank you very much for listening Um, the uh, Craig Taylor got in touch to say he saw Adam Hastings Jamie Batty and Stuart McAnally taking photos with people uh, around Murrayfield there were quite a few players out and about which is good to see Um, Ian Wallace got in touch well he told me in person then I asked him to send me this because I would have forgotten by the time uh I got back to him, got back home. Um, he has submitted one on behalf of Pietro Cetricelli, who saw Ian Wallace in Sainsbury's car park and waved at Ian, which I thought was quite good. Uh, that's the level at which the beard of Scottish rugby has now achieved fame-wise. Players now wave at him. Um, Ian also saw Mark Bennett and Luke Crosby crossing the road when he was driving the bus. Someone got in touch to say they saw Callum Gibbons getting some cash out at Murrayfield on Ian Murrayfield on Saturday. I can't remember who that is. Apologies. Oh, that, that was me, Cammy. Was that you? Did <laughs> yeah. you say it was it, was it, it in Murrayfield? It, it, no, he, was, he was standing in the queue for the tram at the at Murrayfield uh, at the station. Ah, oh, uh, well, there you go. I've been I, mean, I, I think I called him... I think I, I think I spelled his name wrong, but that's maybe what threw you. <laughs> <laughs> so any, any more spots from either of you? Are we... 
No, that's it for me, I'm afraid. No, nothing. I've I've been I've been sort of I'm fully start. I'm expecting to start to see some of the the um, the lesser spotted warriors kicking about uh, soon, but nothing yet. Well, watch this space and do get in touch with us uh, if you see any run about. Um, in we, we, we're going to move on to something different. It's a jingle we haven't had for a while. The jingles are back. I've built a soundboard. Be warned. <laughs> Here's the next one. Fantasy Scottish Rugby Blog, Fantasy Six Nations League. It's not the Fantasy Six Nations League. That's still, I don't know why that's still on the end of that uh, jingle. Um, but uh, that's probably my favourite one, just because it goes on for needlessly goes on for so long. Um, <laughs> the, um, it's time for our Fantasy League. We are going to be doing uh, a World Cup Fantasy League. If you are a member of our Super Brew Six Nations League, you'll have already had your invites. Uh, obviously, there's no point starting it now because none of the squads are out, uh, but uh, do get involved, watch out for the blog, we'll have news on how you can join the Fantasy League. We will cover it as someone demanded in the comments section on the blog, someone has demanded we cover it on the podcast. Of course we will, because uh, we need to cover every week just how badly uh, all the writers on the blog are doing and how much more about rugby uh, our listeners and readers know. Um, Sandy, are you? I mean, have, have you be, been part of our Fantasy League before, Sandy? How do you get on? I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, not too well. I did, I did okay in... Um... Uh, and I'll release Pro 14 one last year, but I've, I've been rubbish in the Six Nations. John, you're, glad, you're, I'm, but I'm, I've joined for this year's. So very good, John. You're normally as bad as me, aren't you? I am absolutely like I'm inexplicably horrific at this. I know. I I know stuff, and it just doesn't translate. It's it's just not fair. I do my transfers and everything, but yeah, yeah, yeah like I take it seriously. Like yep. there's there's spreadsheets and everything, and I still end up doing absolute nothing. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll be there again this year. So um, yeah, if anyone wants uh, to know that they'll be second last in the league. Um, yeah, it's, it's good because I'll be there. Okay, well, and we'll do an, our and finally now. Yes, it is Hands in the Ruck or any other business section of the podcast. Um... We've had we had a submission actually. Um, I don't know if this was actually mid-match or just shortly after the match. It was Edinburgh Alistair from Edinburgh Rugby. Um, it was more of a request to add to the rules in the hands in the rock, but I'm sticking it in, which is a new rule to lynch people who start Mexican waves mid-play. Um, <laughs> which I think is fair enough. I think we we got to the bottom. Of that. A lot of people mourning about Mexican waves. I, I've always said they're good for the kids. It keeps them interested. But I agree uh, with Alistair. I think I think mid-play is is a definite no-no, uh, regardless of how thing, badly things are going on the park. Um, although full full uh, full credit to the bagpiper who started playing the Star Wars theme midway through the second half. I thought give give everybody something to uh, to listen to. Um, there was another bit of news brought to our attention this week that um which kind of fits into hands in the ruck. Um James Haskell signed up to become an MMA fighter starting in twenty twenty. Um which prompted Ian to pose the question, which rugby player would you like to roundhouse in the face? Um 
this um, prompted quite a good thing on Twitter. I mean, the question is, is, is James Haskell suited to MMA? I mean, he, this is a man who lost it when uh, Joe Marler squirted him in the face with water. So I don't know how he's going to cope with people actually stamping on his throat. Um, somebody, uh, Rhiannon got in touch to say that she'd like to kick Owen Farrell in the face, although he'd probably close line her first. Um, <laughs> Martin Craig asked if it could be a referee. Um, I will say that, I mean, we'll support bringing the kicker on this podcast, but I think assaulting referees is probably a step too far even for us. Um, I mean, I, I, I had Johnny, Johnny Sexton, Michael Hooper and Dan Bigger with, with the three names that came to mind. Just Michael Hooper's got a face that you want around house. Um, any any from you guys? Ah, Sexton was up the top, wasn't he? Yeah, I think I would have to go for Falau. Yes. I'd kiss, yeah. Give him a kiss first, cause just to annoy him, but then yeah, kick him. <laughs> Um, the other one I had was Maru Otoji, which brings me yeah. on to another bit of uh, news um, that Rory uh, popped onto our wee group chat today that uh, Saracens have announced that they have now got a mattress firm as their official sleep partner. Um, now, official sleep partner sounds more like a euphemism for a prostitute. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's absolute next level marketing bobbins, Ash. Um, but the there's, there is, if anyone wants to find it, it's uh, you know there's a picture of a, a semi-naked Maro Toji wrapped in a duvet, lying on a mattress. Um, John, John, what's that to your uh, mattresses aside? Um, what's that to in Europe this week? Um, yeah, so um, I immediately after the France game. Um, what's what's got kind of started to grind me a wee bit is the amount of people that are putting their Friday night tickets for the Georgia game up for sale, uh, and a lot of them are doing a vast majority, fair play, vast majority of people are doing it face value, all the usual stuff, but it's back to that thing of the game isn't sold out, and I appreciate people trying to get their money back and stuff, but. People going on trying to buy tickets from other fans when the game hasn't sold out yet. Can can we just can we just sell all the tickets first, or just come up with a sensible way of doing this? Because it's to it's just embarrassing again when you do the whole sell out BT Murrayfield, and then you look in the top corner, or you look in you know certain parts of the stand, and there's glaring gaps. It's it's just a bit silly. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there were there were still pockets of seats empty at Murrayfield on Saturday. I think a few people yeah. maybe after Nisa decided to you know that the, there were other nicer things to do with the weather. Yeah. Um, there were also, I mean, there's a lot of complaints about casual fans getting up and getting drinks and stuff. But yeah, it was a Saturday afternoon. It was a nice day. Very warm. You go to the rugby, you have a beer, and I think. I don't like this reference to the casual fan as though that's that's the only people going up and getting drinks. You know, it's not everybody is going to sit and watch rugby for, you know, 40, 40 50 minutes at a time. People are going to get up and go to their seats and that's that's maybe, uh, you know, a, a, I suppose a, a side effect of, of rugby's popularity and you've got to just take it on the chin. I mean, you think of the days in the, in the early 2000s when Murrayfield was like a ghost town at times with hardly anybody there. And just be grateful yeah. for the fact that people are packing out the packing out the stadium and it's selling out. I wouldn't I wouldn't classify myself as a, a casual fan in the slightest. And I quite happily get up at breaks of play to go and get a beer if I need one. Yeah. Um so and I think people that have an issue with this, you're literally having someone walk past you for about 
three seconds. Yeah. If that's your problem, honestly, you've got so little to be angry about in your life. If you don't like people walking in front of you in a stadium, watch on the telly. Absolutely. Do you know? Don't Sandy. go. Don't go. Yes, exactly. There'd be some more. There'd be a queue of people around the block waiting to take your ticket off you. Um, by 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 the sounds, by the by the look of things, anyway. Uh, Sandy, what's had its hands in your ruck this week? Um, I don't have anything. Um, on the downside, I have to say. I mean, I, I I'm, so I'm going to have to go with a a good thing. I I thought the Murrayfield experience on Saturday was fantastic. Um, uh, the and up until. The second half, and we were playing a bit better. Almost the best thing of the day was the uh, the, the 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 ladies on the pitch signing Flora Scotland. It was probably the most energetic thing that I saw all day. Uh, I thought they were, <laughs> just, I mean, there was like stabbing motions, um, you know, um, rocking backwards and forwards. I I I wish I'd recorded it to watch back because I thought it was fantastic. No, that was that was really that was a nice change to having the full band there and everything. Um, I thought to do something like that was a nice touch, but it was. I mean, I, you know, roll up more, more one o'clock kickoffs, please. That was quite nice. Much more easier to get, much more relaxed and get into the game. Bit yep. of time afterwards to you know watch the game and catch up with people. So no, I thought that was a good thing. Did the people signing? Did they sign the extra lyrics that got added? I would. I sadly, it didn't. I didn't look to see if they did, but I would love it <laughs> if someone very surreptitiously no. had signed that. Do you think we can get someone to sign the the unofficial World Cup song, Cammy? <laughs> if anybody's out there and would like to do it, then please yeah. get please get in touch. We'll happily put a YouTube video up of that. We'd love to love to do that, um, especially the explicit version. Yeah, my my hands in the rock is a slightly slightly controversial thing, but I'm not going to tackle the issue itself because I don't think anybody has the answer as yet. But on social media this week, uh, there was actually, it was supposed to be a good news story on the BBC about a transgender rugby player playing in Wales. Uh, She is called Kelly Morgan and she started playing for Porth Harlequins Ladies. Um, But it kind of got pounced on by, and I will say from what I saw, a lot of people that don't play rugby or don't follow rugby um, who are on my timeline for other things um, who... on the one hand, raised some very valid points, but the way that the argument then went with just lots of people shouting at each other wasn't particularly productive. And I kind of felt for the club and uh, the person involved because I don't think there's any protection from world rugby at the moment or the protection that's there is so open to debate that it kind of undermines what was supposed to be a, look, isn't this a nice inclusive thing that's happening? And I don't know what the answer is because on the one hand, rugby is an inclusive sport it should be open to all but on the other hand there's a significant amount of scientific evidence that suggests that even if you reduce testosterone levels there are still unfair biological advantages so i don't know what the answer is i don't think realistically anybody knows what the answer is at the moment but what i don't think helps is the way that the debate is being had if that makes sense and I think the problem. I think I think world rugby are going to have to step in soon. I think they're a little bit slow on this because it's it's a debate that's happening in sport at the minute. It's a debate that's happening in other sports, and they're going to have to get a handle on it pretty soon. Otherwise, we're going to see more players being left to in very uncomfortable positions that are not of their own making. Yeah, that's a very valid yep. point, Cammy. Yeah, I think they should probably have anticipated this. When they when they did the renaming, that this would rise this 
would become an issue. Somebody would bring it up, so they, they could have, they probably could have got ahead of it at that point. But yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I mean the renaming thing's an interesting thing because on the one hand you can kind of see the good intent behind saying it's the men's, uh, the sort of just saying it's the Rugby World Cup, but. Um, I was listening to the Brian Moore podcast earlier today where he was talking to, a, I think, a, 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 I can't remember a current or former England international because I, I had it on in the background. Um, and her point was, yes, the intention's good, but actually, does it lead to confusion? And does it lead to, you know, ha, is it actually helpful? Is it not better to say the Men's Rugby World Cup and the Women's Rugby World Cup and rather than calling the Men's Rugby World Cup the Rugby World Cup and just make it a bit clearer as to what, things are um but i think you're right sandy i think they, they've you know there's a lot of good intentions around but i'm not necessarily sure that sometimes they're, they're, they're particularly well thought through yeah yeah agreed uh, agreed all motion carried we are right on hey. everything. We've, we've very little disagreement. Neil, Neil, our regular commenter, who gave you nine out of, would he give you ten out of ten last week? Ten, John? ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Best ten podcast in history. <laughs> some or would, something. some would say that I have brought the jingles back in force just to spite everybody that dislikes them, and I say to those people, you are absolutely right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we, we were discussing. We we did have the option last week of the, the acapella approach. Um, I think it was more the 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 other half that wasn't really keen on that. So well, he I, was, I was game for it. He wasn't part of our sing along two weeks ago, was he, John? It was not. No, <laughs> no. Anyway, that's it from us this week. Um, you, we will be back next week to cover full, the full squad announcement. Um, so don't forget to check that. In the meantime, go to scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We've got loads of stuff going on the blog at the minute. Uh, and again, follow us on Twitter as well. Don't forget, because we've only we've sold 31 copies of our world unofficial World Cup song, We'll Still Enjoy the Saki. You can hear that at the end of the podcast. Um, 69 people signed a petition asking for a World Cup song. We've delivered it to you. Where are you? This is Delia Smith. Where are you? Come on. Where are Can you? I actually, on that topic, give a, a big shout out to uh, to Jem from the forum, who, um, in in return for an as one lanyard, has went and bought the bought the song. She has uh, yes. Yes, she was very, very pleased and delighted to support the, the cause. So despite our low numbers, we have raised uh, close to £150 so far. So we're very pleased with that. Thank you to everyone, especially those that have paid more than the £4. Um, uh, some people have paid as much as £10 for it. So we're very grateful for that. Um, the more we get, the more money that we can pass on to the My Name's Doddy Foundation, which is all the money that we raise through this, we, we, we're going to donate to them. Um, that's between now and the end of the year because we're hoping to have a big surge in Christmas sales uh, as everyone buys a copy for their for their relatives uh, as a stocking filler um, so yes you go to the blog we'll post a link on the podcast post uh, with how you can buy that and download it and um, there are details on the blog about how you can add it to your iTunes libraries and the like but for the moment it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Sandy and John Good night, night folks Oh, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. No, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. He'll run rings around your crew because he's a pinball with a two. No, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. Singing, we're gonna win the World Cup. 
Oh yes, we're gonna win the World Cup And even if we can't, we'll still enjoy the sake We're gonna win the World Cup Oh, here he comes So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC He's stupendous, he's tremendous, he's the best Gavin Logan, Sonny McLaughlin, no, you really cannot knock them. But Doogie's so much better than the rest. So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC. His cancellation really was a farce. Dan Walker, Jake Ball, no, they don't have it at all. And you can stick your Inverdale up your one. Yeah.